and welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast with me, Angie Mazzetti. And my guest this week is Teresa Siaw, who has an amazing story to tell. Teresa works in the healthcare system in Chicago and has set up Omni Healthcare in tough areas of the city. And she's really making a difference, which is quite an achievement for such a young woman. She's been through hard times herself, but you'd never guess it to listen to her. And she has the most amazing can-do attitude. Here she is, Teresa Siaw. So good morning. I'm talking today to Teresa Siaw. Have I said that right, Teresa? Yes, you did. (laughs) You're very welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast. First of all, for our listeners, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, I know you're from the US, but tell me a little bit more about it and where your parents came from and your whole life story, your early life story, just for starters. Okay, definitely. Well, my name is Teresa Sio. Um, I live in Chicago, Illinois. Um, I have a few practices and a few businesses in Chicago. Um, My early, I was born in St. Francis um, Hospital located close to north of Chicago and both my two parent my both my two lovely parents that have actually passed away more than almost close to 10 years right now um, they're from Ghana um, and they lived the American dream they worked very hard there were two factory workers um, that came to the US um, and my dad used to tell me that he came to the US with $75 <laughs> and you know we were born in the US and you can make your you can here you can make your own living your own life and I'm I'm grateful for the opportunities both my parents gave us because education was the main factor that always drew, drove us. And um, even though uh, we lived in the south, bad neighborhoods and then we progressed and he, he, they built their, a beautiful house in the suburbs of Chicago, um, they always made us always come back to our roots by going, to, we, we always went back to Ghana by always showing, you know, showing us that there's never, you're never above anybody in this world. No matter how much you make or how much, how little you make, everybody should be treated the same. And so that's why I have, that's why I, I teach my girls here in the office as well. So you've quite a few um, businesses there. You've you've built a, a substantial healthcare business, Omni Healthcare. What does Omni do? What do you have there in in Chicago? Omni Healthcare is a primary care facility. Uh, we started with one clinic. And now we have close to 12 clinics. Actually, we're teaming up with the local hospital right now. Um, yesterday, we had we signed a contract with them to make a 13th clinic, and I don't like I don't like the number 13. So, <laughs> I hopefully we make another clinic right after that. Um, so, Omni Healthcare we provide um, me- uh, medicine to people from the ages of 18 and going. We have one family physician um, in our entire practice of internists. So, and we have close to 15 nurse practitioner on staff as well, too. Tell me about your education. You said education was very important to you and to your parents. What was your education like and how far did you go with education? I think, I think the old school thinking of my parents and I think even to some of my aunts, my great aunts and um, like even my own grands, my, um, not my grandson, my son's grand, grandparents, um, the, every education is the number one thing, especially when people who are foreign, I notice too, is that it's almost a status symbol, like sending your kid to the best school. So my parents um, sent us to boarding school. They worked 13 hours in the factory job. Um, my mom used to work for Keebler um, and my dad worked for SNC Electric. 
and they used to send us to um, Catholic schools. And then after that, when they started making their own business, they said that you have to go to boarding school. So I went to a boarding school, a local boarding school in Chicago um, called Chicago Junior School. I think now they changed their name. And then after that, I went to a military school at the age of 10. And then after that, I, I wanted a social life. <laughs> so I begged my parents to send me to a, a public school and I went to Hensdale South. And that's where I, you know, learned social skills because in boarding school, I feel that you, it, it takes away certain things of your childhood that I, I never experienced that a lot of people have experienced versus like you have to grow yourself up a little bit faster. Um, maturing is is a is a big thing that you have to do. Um, you know, I have my son, he's five. You know, I help him brush his teeth every morning. I help him get dressed. But at when you're in the third grade, around seven years old, you don't have your parents helping you get dressed or laying your clothes out in the morning or, you know, your mom kissing you to go to say bye to school or walking you to the bus. So you just literally have a dorm parent and then your dorm parent tells you guys, get ready, you gotta go to school. And so I felt like there's, there's a pluses and minuses, but I mean, I have a great education from it. <laughs> Did you but, do further I, study then? Did you do college? Yes, I went to college and then I just I just stopped getting I, at my bachelor's degree. And um, I'm very business savvy. What did you do your business? What did you do your degree in? Um, I have mark. I have a, a, a bachelor's in marketing. And I always tell this like the local kids here in Humboldt Park because this is one number one clinic is in Humboldt Park. And I always tell the local kids not every college is not meant for everybody. Um, I am a strong believer in that. Um, I know I, somebody was arguing about me with this to me the other day, and I said, it's not for everybody. My daddy worked at SNC Electric, and he was a machinist. He did tool and die. And then 1975, he was making $35 an hour from doing tool and die. Some people are still in college debt. Even our doctors who are like almost 60-something years old, they have to pay. They have a lot of debt right now. And I always tell them, like, sometimes it's better to do trades. A lot of jobs in this area, they're looking for people who um, who know how, have a skilled work, skilled work. And I always tell kids, I'm like, well, what, what's the reason why you want to go to college? And it's the persona of them thinking that college is the best way because it's being advertised. I'm like, also, college is a business as well. My I went to DePaul University and my parents were paying close to thirty three thousand dollars in a private school. And not everybody, think about it, you are in private school for $33,000 times that by four. <laughs> and I mean, I don't have a student loans or anything, but that's a lot of loans that you have to carry. And I didn't get a job right after college. And even when you do get a job right after college, sometimes the job, the pay, your salary is lower than what you're making. So I always tell the kids when I'm even motivating some of the kids, I'm like, try to get a trade or, you know, not everybody can be a doctor either. If you want to be a doctor, I'm, so be it. There's a lot. I have a program that I own for um, medical, foreign medical students that do their training in the Caribbean, and they come to the U.S. to do their clerkship, clinical clerkships at a teaching hospital. And I ask the students, like, why did you guys choose the Caribbean than the U.S. to go to school? And a majority of them will say, is they'll be honest and say, oh, we couldn't get into the U.S. medical school, but they are paying close to $75,000 a year to be a doctor and they don't know if they're going to be a doctor or not. 
It's a lot of payback, isn't it? But listen, you you you've been a very busy woman. You've got yes. um, over three thousand patients, twelve now thirteen offices. How did that come about? I mean, you've been really busy, and how long did that take to build up? It sounds like something you'd be proud to say you did at age fifty, but I know you're a lot younger than that. So how did you do it all so fast? So I'm thirty one. Um, my son's father. Um, I think when my dad passed away um, in twenty ten. And I didn't know where, where where my life was taking me. And I'm not gonna lie, my my grew grew up with a silver spoon in my mouth. Um, so, but I always wanted to prove myself to my father because he it's you know there's like that family competition. Oh, my dad would say that I came here with nothing, and you guys were born here, and <laughs> you guys have the opportunity. In Ghana, you can't. There's no public assistance. There's no government assistance. You have to do everything. You have to fend for yourself. So I always had a great work ethic, and my son's father, he saw that about me, and I just said that I don't know what to do. Um, my parents, they were very wealthy, and they, they left us with some money because I didn't know. My dad always used to tell me, um, if if I leave you with, this is my money, this is not your money. If I leave you with anything, you're lucky enough. <laughs> and I mean, it's true. <laughs> you sure he wasn't <laughs> Irish and not Ghanaian? It sounds very <laughs> Because you know, I have Irish friends, and they always say that. Um, and he, 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 it was just my son's father told me, you know, try to work with the hospitals. He had one clinic, and I built up my son's father's to five clinics at that time. And then after that, when he passed away, he would pass away in a boating accident. He was um, in Lake Michigan, and he fell off a boat and he drowned. And I didn't know what to do at all. Um, I was just said, let me close down the business. I don't want nothing to do with this. And the people in Humble Park community rallied, basically, I say rally because a lot of them kept calling me saying, Teresa, you have to open a clinic. We had a dream about your your son's father. Um, he said that you have to do this. I'm like, all these people are crazy. They're lunatics. <laughs> and they basically found me an office. And I'm like, I'm just still Angie. I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. They found me an office. They found my staff back. And I didn't know, and, and I said, and one of our doctors, he stood behind me, he worked at Northwestern University, and he said, I'd do anything for you. And he worked for free for close to four months before I found my partner, Dr. Vivek Gupta. And I was just doing the paybacks of everybody because my son, you know, everybody thinks doctors have a lot of money, but doctors have a lot of debt too, because they have, if they have an MRI machine, if they lease out equipment, they have to pay all that back. And so I'm just paying everybody back with the little money that I got from my, my dad's inheritance. And he, it basically, I didn't even know what, if the checks were going to clear or, <laughs> or they're going to bounce. Yeah, but so, it sounds like people had a lot of faith in you, probably more than you had in yourself, did they? Correct. People had a lot more faith in me. And then after that, you know, you don't look back. And then we came from a small clinic, and then we have close to a 5,000 square foot clinic here in, in Humble Park, which we service close to 3,000 patients every year, active patients. Um, what is the area like? I mean, what sort of injuries or diseases do you have there? Humble Park is located, it's in the west side of Chicago, so a lot of people hear about the gunshots and the shootings. That's the area we're in. <laughs> oh, okay, so it's a so, tough neighborhood. It's a rough neighborhood. Um, it's a lot of gang activities, but I feel that the neighborhood it has changed. It's also a lot of gentrification going on right now too. On the other side, one side of the street, there's million dollar homes. On the other side of the street, there's boarded up homes. So that's so that's how Chicago kind of is 
Chicago, you, you would go one block and it'll be a completely different neighborhood. And I always try to give the the people in Humble Park hope because when I hired my my staff, my my son's father, Steph, they never went to outside Humble Park. And Humble Park is less than a mile wide. <laughs> and a, a lot of people have the thinking of I'm supposed to be on public aid, government assistance. And you you I'm a, I'm a different person. I'm a, I'm a suburban person now. I live in the, my um I used to live in the suburbs. I'm coming with a different thinking, thinking everything is the same way in the suburbs, the same way in the city. So a lot, it's not true. Everything is completely opposite. You know, we have schools in the city, but the schools do not function the same way as the suburban schools. So even right now, I'm going close to $50,000 to uh, after school program to, and this is a city where it makes millions of dollars to start um, summer programs, just basic basketball, volleyball, and swimming. That's crazy. Yes. <laughs> So I feel like the, when the community came behind me, even though people say that, oh, these are bad people, um, gangbangers or whatever, I have to give back to the same people that made me who I am right now. Now, it and sounds I, like you're, you're very much into the community and, you know, the community well-being. Have you ever thought about going into politics? Yes. So uh, maybe sooner <laughs> I will be going into politics in, uh, in the area. And I, I have a lot of people coming in the, again, the community again, they come to my office every day saying that you should run, you should run for something because of the the, thing, the things I've been doing in the community, not only what my son's father has instilled in me by giving out turkeys, by being very generous. Um, we give out close to a thousand tur turkeys every year without any no type of notoriety. Uh, we do school supplies, free school supplies. Uh, we do free immunizations for people if they don't have any insurance or even if they do have insurance. Because sometimes if, if you have um, commercial insurance, you do have to pay out your pocket sometimes. Sometimes you don't. It doesn't cover everything. Are those um, not free, you know, in, in terms of health care? Do babies not get covered in the United States for their inoculations? So, so this is, the, you know, um, it depends. So, like, uh, for instance, um, when I had my son, I was taken off a of Blue Cross Blue Shield at one point in time because I didn't tell my insurance that I was pregnant or I was thinking about being pregnant. So there's a so a lot of people don't understand. Like I feel, you know, people talk about the Obamacare, um, how it's affecting everybody. But, you know, you, we pay for car insurance. You know, everybody's required to pay for car insurance. And then nobody complains about that. But why is everybody complaining about taking care of themselves? And that's that's a that's the thinking that I, I I have a problem with because they said oh you you know my health insurance I pay close to five hundred something dollars a month, and I know it's a lot but I feel that there needs to be some type of universal health care because my when my father had a heart attack in nineteen ninety uh, nineteen ninety five, he had the basic insurance meaning only emergency room, he had a heart attack and it came out of his pocket he had to pay close to seventy thousand dollars. I mean, how many people do have $70,000 sitting in their bank accounts right now just in case you have a heart attack? Yeah, so, I'm kind of glad I'm living in Ireland. We just roll up to the local, yeah. <laughs> the local <laughs> hospital. And, you know. Right, and, then, and after that, my dad had paid close to $1,000 a month for his diabetic medication, for his heart medication, his cholesterol. I mean, people don't have that type of money. Some people don't even make $1,000 a month. And did, and so, did, uh, sorry, did, did Obamacare not improve things a little bit? It, it improved a lot with hospital situations, I feel, because a lot of the hospitals were closing because of the debt. So if 
there's people like, for instance, if I go to the hospital and I have no insurance and I ran a bill into the hospital, you know, anything in the hospital is triple the price. If I ran a bill of close to $100,000, like we have a patient that's sitting in the hospital. He's been in the hospital for three years now. Um, and it, his bill is $4 million. Who covers that bill? The state does. So they will ask the state for money. So no matter what your taxes and everything, it goes to the hospital to bail them out. Like UIC gets bailed out for $110 million every year. So a lot of people don't understand the the consequences, no matter what, why our taxes are higher, because we have a lot of debt. <laughs> so with, otherwise, hospitals like UIC will close. Um, or like there's three hospitals that closed last year because of uh, debt and also the budgets that weren't being passed. Um, so there's a lot of it's it's a two-edged sword. That's how I feel. I understand why people don't want to pay too much money for insurance. Yeah, I don't want to pay that much money because my insurance doesn't cover anything. So I feel like why am I paying five hundred dollars a month and my insurance doesn't even want to cover one bill? <laughs> Teresa, tell me about uh, the work you're doing outside of the United States. Do you do you do some um, work for oh. hurricane victims as well? Did I read that? Yes, I do. I do. Um, so having this medical practice in the Humboldt Park area, um, Humboldt Park is one of the largest Puerto Rican communities in Chicago, and I think probably almost in the United States. Um, majority of the people speak Spanish, which I don't. <laughs> Neither did my son father. Um, and I, I just really love the community. And when the hurricane happened in Maria, um, I just told one of the doctors, which is Dr. Eric Mazuna, I said, oh, we're going to Puerto Rico. I don't know how we're going to get there because of uh, the planes. <laughs> you can't get inside of Puerto Rico. I'm like, I don't know how we're going to get there, but I had faith. <laughs> you know? uh, and we, um, somebody heard about it, heard about um, that we wanted to go to Puerto Rico, and they donated us a private plane to Puerto Rico. And we were able to, we were on the first flights, medical flights, to land in Puerto Rico in Ponce, actually and deliver water and supplies, medical supplies. And again, it was, I, this all happened within three hours. So <laughs> I literally had a, a lucky my brother-in-law was around. He, um, he was able to take care of my son and I got on a plane and I, and one of the doctors, we took three, two doctors, Dr. Mazzino and another doctor was from Puerto Rico. Um, he came here for vacation. And um, we took a whole bunch of medical supplies, insulin, water, um, amoxicillin, which is um, antibiotics. Uh, we took a lot of Pepsid, water filtrations, so people could drink water um, with, you know, by putting some tablets in. So, and we just got on with the clothes on our back and that's it. And, and have you been back there since? Oh, I haven't been back. We're trying to go back, um, but a lot of things have been happening within our community. Um, so Dr. Mizuno stayed there in Puerto Rico for two weeks with the same clothes. And I said, how did you do it? <laughs> I mean, I probably changed clothes maybe twice a day, <laughs> but he stayed in Puerto Rico for two weeks and he even saw some of our patients over there. Um, he was telling me about how people, they had to share oxygen for 80 people in a, in a uh, hospital and they only had one oxygen tank and it was very devastating. And then after that, we wanted to go back to Puerto Rico. But people from Puerto Rico were leaving the island and coming here to the U and to Chicago because they were sold a dream by some of these political people around. Um, and that was, a, you know, from island weather compared to Chicago weather in wintertime is not the same. So we I was able to buy close to 200 hats and gloves to give to people, feeding people, because a lot of these people didn't have anything. 
at all. And also, you know, we, we are hurting our own system because when the political people, they do this because they want more votes so they can register them to vote and they will go and vote for them. Um, that's what they did. So it was more for the, yeah, it's more for them versus helping out their own people. Tell me about your own political dreams. If I was to wave a magic wand now and, and give you your, your own political dream, would you be the next uh, Democratic contestant for the presidency? Or um, If you were to wave a magic wand, I would say that I wanted to stop a lot of the violence here. Uh, give the kids hope that selling drugs is not going to get you anywhere in life. And to give somebody, if, it takes only one person, I always tell people this, it takes only one person to change somebody's life and to be in that person's life. And I always feel that, you know, the, the political people that are here, they don't, they're not even in their office all day. I'm in my office every single day. I think I'm the first person that comes to the office and I'm the, I leave at the exact same time with my staff. So I feel that if I'm able to set an example for my staff to get better and these girls have changed their life, if I could affect close to 10 people in my own office, how many people can I affect that are not within my own office? I just want to just encourage the kids in the area that it, you don't have to, this is not your, this is not the last stop. You have, you can make a bigger dream. If you can see the way my parents came from Ghana and the, their community, it'll make you cry. And if they can make it from over there and be self-made millionaires, then you guys can do that here too. But the system doesn't really help them, does it? I mean, how? Um, I mean, are there practical things you can put in place, you know, to change these kids' lives? And I mean, what about older people in the community? They must live in a lot of fear if there's that much gang right. violence going on. There's a lot of gang violence. Even former gang members. Um, this what's going on right now. Former gang members are being killed. Um, you, you thought you were from the, uh, you left the gang life and you were a chief before and you're probably 50 or 60 years old and you're just walking to the grocery store and they shoot and kill you because they could get points, they could get stripes. Um, that's what's going on in Chicago right now. And it has to stop because it's, it, I mean, we have shootings in front of our office sometimes and we have people who are very affluent um, client patients and that come to the neighborhood and, you know, they said that what's going on here? Because lifestyle two miles from Chicago is a complete different lifestyles two miles west of the lake. So I just feel that a lot of uh, if everybody could come together and understand each other, then it would be a lot better place. That's what, one thing you can't look at. Well, why can't they do it? How, why can't they get out of their own problems? So if you have to go for election, what are your kind of your election promises? I, I, I know... I mean, when we look from Europe at America, it seems like a basket case when it comes to guns because we don't have that problem yes, at all. There's a lot of guns here. How do you there's tackle that when you have the, you know, the intensity uh -huh. of the NRA and the, the huge connections that they have and the huge lobby Correct. and the money that they have? Correct. Um, my biggest point is education, educating people, because one thing is a lot of people do not do their own research. And I think that's a, I think that's a, like a around the world <laughs> type of thing uh, issue um my biggest thing is starting these programs in these high schools um like i'm i'm starting an after school program i feel that businesses if they're well off to do instead of donating i'm not i'm not a big person about donating to organizations like big organizations i'm a type of person that i want to do um myself because my parents had an orphanage home in ghana and they always donated money it to certain villages and that's the same thing I do. I go to Ghana, I find a village, and I donate maybe six hundred, a thousand dollars, and it goes a long way. They could build a school, they could get, you know, water system, everything. And 
it, people feel like, oh, we keep getting giving more money, more tax, higher taxes. We could, if we uh, have a couple businesses, we could get together. Each of us donate maybe $1,000 every year towards our schools, our local school system, and we could cut the debt down in half. We have close to 45 kids in one class for one teacher. Yes, there's in neighborhoods, five schools closed in one neighborhood. And a lot of people are like, oh yeah, charter schools are great. And now I'm seeing that, seeing the uh, the problem because now I'm living in the neighborhood, now I live in Humboldt Park. If you are a gang on one side and you, you know, these kids are naive too. And there's another gang on this side, they all go to one school. What type of problem are you going to have? And how come this, uh, the schools are closing down? Are the schools not federally funded? The schools are federally funded, but the problem is, is that they don't have enough funding. So we're trying to figure out where's all the money that's going towards. So, but the politicians are getting higher salaries. I don't understand if, you know, that's what the schools are complaining about right now. It's like one school said that, you know, we don't know if we're going to have an after school program. So if there's no after school program and some people's parents, a lot of people's parents are single parents, single parenting their kids and they have to go to work. So where's the kid going to do all day? They're going to get into trouble because guess what? The gangs are going to recruit them and say that we're your family. We could help you out. We could do this. And it's it's appealing for them. So what, tell me about your own your own political path now. So you do you member of a political party or how does no, it work? I'm a member of a political party. I think everybody in Chicago is a Democrat, no matter what. <laughs> you can't get anywhere if you're not a Democrat. But I have a conservative views um, on certain things. I don't know, um, and I, I I feel like I stand on my own two feet. I'm not part of the machine, which they said this in Chicago. It's like with all their buddies, you have to be part of the machine. I have my own mouth. I, I, I say how it is. And people tell me that I'm too transparent. And I like to be transparent because I I don't want to feel that I'm lying to anybody. And I don't want to tell people, sell them a false dream either. Well, so, What do you mean by conservative views? What are your conservative uh, views? Since, um, you know, I'm just very conservative to certain things that, um, like, for instance, like education. Education is a big thing for me um, with gun violence. I felt that, um, you know, there's a lot of guns on the street and I felt that sometimes that I don't even know, should I protect myself? Because like last summer we had a shooting in front of our office. One of the girls I employed from the other office, the gunshots went through the window and almost, and while she's working, <laughs> it almost hit her. And so it's like, how, how are we able to protect ourselves in our, our own businesses while these kids literally are hiding guns in bushes here in Chicago? And they're going to, they, and they, most of these kids that are shooting are from elementary school too. <laughs> they're like 10 years old, 11. It's really sad. And it's, so a lot of the gunning, how they can get their hands on guns. <laughs> and a lot of people, you have your business open and then the, the person who's doing the shooting runs inside your business. And I feel like, you know, it's my responsibility to take, my first responsibility is to take care of my employees um, because they have dedicated their life for me. But and so I'm a little bit conservative, but I have a, I see the I see the the issue, and I also feel like I the safety issue. There's a huge safety problem in Chicago with the guns. The gun violence is it has to stop. And um, just move on to lessons in leadership. So what what would be your five top tips for leadership, particularly for women? Okay, for I love I love how you have that on your website. Um, there's a special place in hell for another woman that doesn't help another woman. I I agree a hundred percent. 
I feel that a lot of women should stop being scared. Um, I know a lot of people who try to start their business, the first thing is that I can't, it's the fear. And I went through the same problem as I talked earlier. Um, I, you have to have, the first person you have to have faith in is yourself because you're never going to be able to get out of your own comfort zone if you're always going to be fearful. Um, my next is, is that try, you know, it's a men's world. And I know a lot of men say a lot of things to women. And I, especially even my assistant should go to a meeting with me at the same time. And somebody's talking about my looks or the way I'm dressed. Um, I don't joke with that. And I cut the person off completely and I will get up from a meeting. So you have to always respect yourself too. Um, and then my other point will be just, if you, you have to believe in yourself always and motivate yourself at all times. It's always going to be hard. There's going to be difficult days always, but you're going to have many bad days than more than good days. And if you can just, just stay on your own plan and stay on your, stay on the right path, you're going to do, you're going to do great. Okay. Um, I, I, I like that what you're saying, you, know, you get up and walk away if somebody comments. What did you mean by that? If they comment on your looks or something oh, superficial, is it? <laughs> they comment on my looks all the time and they will say that, oh, Teresa, I'm in love with you or this, or I like your dress. And I would tell them like, you know what, I'm here for a business meeting. I'm not here for you to sexualize my looks or anything. And if this continues, I will walk away. I've walked away from many contracts <laughs> because of the way somebody has talked to me in a meeting. Good for you. Good for you. This is a huge lesson you, in that. Yeah, you, I mean, you don't respect yourself. Nobody's going to respect you as well. Okay. And I presume you do get respect when you talk like that too. Correct. Finally, your go-to song. Say you're having a rough day and, you know, things haven't gone so well, but you want to kind of give yourself a little pep talk in, in your head. Is there a song that you go to or a tune yeah, or anything like that? My go-to song is Superstar by Lupe Fiasco. <laughs> that is my, it says, if you are what you say you are, a superstar. So that's my go-to song. I play that every morning. I think everybody's tired of it. <laughs> Can you sing a little bit of it? Because I don't know it. <laughs> my sister sitting right here. She said, please do not sing. <laughs> She said, I have a I speak in the office every single time. They always tell me that, you, like, okay, we got to leave right now. <laughs> she can office. sing along with you. Is your assistant a female? Tell her she can sing backing singer for you. Yeah. It's like, if you are what you say you are, a superstar, if you have, have no fear, the crowd is here. But it's, a, it's an amazing song. It motivates me. It motivates my staff. And here we, you know, my staff, we're, we're like family. So I, I, I treat my patients like it's our own family. Um, so I always motivate. I try to motivate everybody with that song. Um, so people will cry and they just say, thank you so much. I really needed that. And, you know, that's that's pretty much that's how I am. I, as long as I could change one person, I feel like I've done my duty in life. Good idea. What a nice way to finish. Thank you so much, Teresa, for a fantastic thank interview. So I really Nancy. enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to be able to say in years to come that she got her first break <laughs> on the Women in Leadership. And look at her now, she's President of the United States oh, and she solved the gun problem. <laughs> you know, my staff just looked at me like, please, we're not going I've taken them out. They, I have taken them out of their own element. They said that we first were nobodies in this community. I started as a medical assistant, now 
now we we're now movers we, and now yeah. now we are well, we have promoted ourselves they never they said that they always thank me every day you should even see the comments they make on my facebook they say thank you so much for believing in me that we're able to change now majority of them make like 20 something dollars an hour um they have their own homes and then before they used to be on public assistance and i said why you guys are on that so I, i'm glad that i'm able to change more than one person in my life <laughs> So thank you so much, Teresa. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Pleasure too. That was Teresa Seo of Omni Health in the United States, and I love her choice of music. She's just terrific. That's all from the Women in Leadership podcast for now. Do tell your friends about us and rate us on iTunes. Get in touch with us too with your own choices of music and go-to songs that get you motivated. You can contact us via the website or on the email info at womeninleadership.ie. The website is www.womeninleadership.ie. The Women in Leadership podcast also has a great list of speakers and women MCs for your next event. And we're also in the business of providing media training for companies and individuals. So if you need either of those services, get in touch with us via the website womeninleadership.ie or info at womeninleadership.ie on the email. Until the next time, from me, Angie Mazzetti and all on the team, goodbye and take care.